Clay went off. That was so funny. And then the announcer was like, "Easy, Clay," because they're just on national television. You can't just like be shitting on players. So funny. Yeah, me, me, maybe not the best idea to say someone's out of the league when you haven't <laughs> played in two years. But it's a different story. Exactly. So everybody's here, dude. Do you want to give the? We're talking about a lot of NBA. We're kicking off February right. With a little yeah. NBA early morning action. Do you kind of want to give the intro to what we're Yeah, so I think we came up with five topics for the show today, which we can basically hit in whatever order we want. But um, maybe, Kellen hey. will be, maybe Kellen will be nice enough to put the timestamps in the description of the podcast. Facts. And so can you hear me? our different segments are, yeah, we can hear you, Chan. And our different segments are going to be, Damian Lillard's top five shots of all time. Nikola Jokic's all-star candidacy. Celtics against Warriors. That game is coming up tomorrow. Um, how three-point three <laughs> shooting has impacted comebacks over the past few seasons. And Bradley Beal, potential trade destinations. And did I see a thing that the the... I forget what crazy stat it is, but there's only been nine wins all time when teams are down like five with 10 seconds. Yeah, and then it happened twice in like two days. Yeah. Yeah. The last 25 years. Yeah. The Wizards ones was weak though. Nowhere near as cool. I mean, I saw people saying this is the greatest comeback win in the last five seasons since Tracy McGrady. I was like, bro, did you literally see what happened yesterday, bro? I mean, nowhere near as cool. Like they, they handed it to them. Joe Harris. Blazers was kind of lucky though, because it was a jump ball and it just happened to get in Dame's hands. They first how's that how's that lucky? That's just that wasn't lucky, bro. What do you mean? He the is Wizards pretty lucky. Gary I mean Gary comes down to it. Defended Zach Levine and then he out jumped Zach Levine. That's not luck, bro. Lori was right there. Well, yeah, because Gary yeah, that was that was the direction. how he set up. Okay. He literally set up to tip it to Rocco and then Dame's right there. Or tip it to Dame, either one of them. Yeah, it went it went exactly as planned. For sure. Yeah. yeah. That was sick though. Wait, what how did the jump ball even happen? I didn't realize it was a jump ball. I thought it was an inbounds. And then I Gary rewatched tied it. Zach up on the yeah, inbounds. They, they threw it. It wasn't oh, that yeah. it wasn't a good play by the Bulls because they threw it to Zach Levine when he was in the corner. And then yeah. like Dame or then Rodney Hood and Gary Trent just kind of crashed in on him and he had nowhere to go and nowhere to pass it to. And so he just was kind of stuck. He was mm. so mad when he walked off the court. It was so funny. Yeah, he they all were mad. off. It was so funny. So funny, dude. Do you want to give? Dude, I was going back and watching in one of my top Dame ones. I mean, yeah, Dame, like, game winners. Freaking, it crushed me. I remember when this happened, when, like, Steph turned the ball over, and mm-hmm. then Dame goes and runs around under the basket and then gets a catch and shoot, and he has, like, three hands in his face and still drains it, dude. That, that one made the list for me. Which one? What number was it? For you, you guys want to just start with our top five Damian Lillard buzzer beaters of all time? Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. So let's do our number ones first. Let's just go from one to five. Why do you my, num- my number one was the shot, the bad shot against the <laughs> Oklahoma City Thunder to yeah. send the Blazers to the second round of the playoffs. Um, it wasn't like that important. Well, I mean, obviously it was an important shot, but we were up 3-1 in the series. If he missed it, the game was going into overtime. So it wasn't like one that he absolutely had to make. Yeah. But just like just like the balls to have a shot to win the game and just deciding to take it from 
37 feet away. It's just yeah. so impressive and taking it. I remember Grant's video of it and his dad's like, what are you doing? Go to the basket. <laughs> well, you yeah, were there. He was going to the basket a lot that game and he was just getting hacked and there were no fouls. So I think he realized yeah. if, if he was going to the basket, they were just going to like, it wasn't going to work out for him. And yeah. so he literally thought that 37 footer was the best shot to take in the situation. And he was correct. Is that your guys? Number one, too? Yeah, that's my number one. No, nah, I got the 2014 I, one against the Rockets as well. Yeah, yeah same. I think that's fair. Because if he doesn't make that one, I think we lose that serious problem. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's because when people say, because Dame is so much more popular now when he hit that shot against the Thunder versus when he hit the shot against the Rockets, because mm-hmm. they're down two. So if he misses that, they lose the game for sure. Yeah. And they're going to Houston for game seven. And the Rockets would have just won two straight, so they would have had all the momentum. Yeah, there's like there's a tiny percent chance that we even win that series. Yeah, where if Lillard misses the shot against OKC, we still probably win the game because yeah. we had yeah. we had momentum going into that point. We had to come back. We made a big comeback in the fourth quarter, and so even if he misses that, we still probably win the series that game. So he was so sick though, just because of that. Like the shot was more crazy, but the situation. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because that really is what it comes down to. Like, because the OKC shot is like much more impressive and much more difficult, but the Houston shot is much more important. So it just kind of comes down to which of those two criteria do you sort of value more? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a few of Dame's shots, they were actually down too, which makes it even sicker. Mm -hmm. But there were a few when it was tied, but yeah. Pretty dope, dude. What's number two on your? Houston. Is it number two? Obviously, Houston. It's got. It's just like yeah. Switch and the number three. What's yours, Jonah? Okay, so my number three actually, um, you got to throw back to a Damian Lillard's rookie season for this one, two thousand and thirteen. I want to say the buzzer beater against the then New Orleans um, Hornets. Oh yeah. Yep. And I kind of forget how this play happened. Damian Lillard inbounds the ball, I'm pretty sure. And um, to Luke Babbitt. Yeah, to Luke Babbitt. That's right. That's a blast from the past. And then, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he gets the ball back, gets the screen, and then oh, hits, like the shot on, and yeah. hits the shot in Ryan Anderson's face. And that was obviously the first buzzer beater of Dame's career, his first game winner. And it, that one was like the battle between him and Anthony Davis because they were like the two top rookies of that year. Obviously, Dame went on to win rookie of the year, but that that was a cool one just because it was his first one. And um, yeah. Also, I thought one thing that was funny that I noticed is that three that he hit against Chicago the other night. That was like the first time he celebrated a game. I know since yeah. since that won his rookie year and he did it the same way where he put up both of his arms yeah it was kind of weird how that was like his impulse reaction and then he yeah. immediately took him took them down yeah like, yeah like, let's go. yeah yeah because yeah. i he really wants to kind of maintain the tough guy image but he was just like so excited i don't think he could have even helped it there yeah and then Innes came and gave him a little kiss <laughs> that was so dope dude i used to do that on the team but yeah, I had the same number three, his first one. Ah, dude, I don't know. It's hard to rank him, bro. I really mess with um the one in Detroit, the fall away one. Oh yeah. 
That was that was uh, one of my favorites. I remember watching that one. That one was tough. Yeah, that one that one was like the two pointer from like a the right elbow, right? Yeah. Okay. And he like there's defenders all over him and he faded yeah. and it was just tough. I don't really remember a ton of them from like his younger career, but I remember the one he shot over Brandon Ingram. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that, that was, was actually gonna be on my list. Yeah. Because I think when Brandon you hit it Ingram. too, the clock expired like straight up double zero. Yeah. Which is pretty sick. But yeah, there's so freaking many. How many does he have now? Like 30? I don't know. It, I was surprised because um, when he made that one the other day in Chicago, it was like technically his third career like buzzer beater. Mm-hmm. And like he's had, I guess, so many game winners where he made the shot and there were like 0.2 seconds left on the clock, yeah. or like 0.3. Like, but like in terms of game winners, he's probably at like 10 now, but like technically only three buzzer beaters, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Facts. Where does the Bulls one rank amongst? I'll put that at five, baby. Really? That was yeah. cold. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It's the sick, whole dude. sequence, bro. That was cold. And the shot over Markin, and he got him on his heels. My number four. <laughs> my number four was a uh, Golden State back in the 2018 2019 season. Yeah. They inbounded the ball to Steph, and Steph probably should have hung, hung on to it. Like we probably would have fouled him and sent him to the line. And we were down two then, right? So if Steph goes to the line, yeah. that game's probably over. But instead, he throws the pass. And I think it was Mo Harkless who yep. got the deflection. And Dame came up with it. And he kind of drove into the lane because he was going to tie it up. But he just got surrounded by the Warriors. So he just kind of threw just a flaming pile of dog crap behind him. And luckily, Alfred Camino hustled over there and picked it up. And yeah. Dame sprinted to the right corner and hit the three right in Steph Curry's face. And that was back. That was back when the Warriors were good too. Like that was that was back the year they got the one seed. And so like that was a oh, big dude. win for the Blazers too. Like that was a big one for us. And That's it was tough. on the road. It was our last regular season game at the uh, Oracle Arena. So it was yeah. definitely not only a big shot but also a big win for the Blazers. Yeah, yeah. I'd probably put that one at four too. Yeah. And leave the Ingram one off the same list. Same here. I like it. Just because – and same thing with the Bulls one, why I'd put that five. I was going to put the one over Brandon Ingram at five, but I put um, the Bulls one over that just because of the comeback. Yeah. Like, yeah, he had to make two shots, bro. Yeah. Because against Two the insanely hard shots. Yeah, that first one was so deep. Yeah. Um, so but, crazy. Yeah. And then I kind of had – an honorable mention against the Warriors in 2016. It wasn't a game winner, but against the 73 and nine Warriors, when the Blazers beat them by like 35 at home. Yeah, I was there <laughs> out of all the games that I would have could have went to. It went, I went to a loss in Portland. Like, are you freaking kidding me? So yeah, and, and Dame had 51 and he hit a, like one of his last shots yeah. was like a thirty footer to put him up by like thirty five, and that, that I just remember that that was crazy. How long to remember yeah. that game? So every time I went, Dame has dropped like at least forty five <laughs> against the Warriors, dude. You should know I, better, dude. I had a couple honorable mentions too. Both of mine were from the bubble. The first one was that shot against Dallas where it like oh yeah, 50 dude. Feet off the road. I was listening on the radio in the car. I was yeah. coming back from um, the mountains. Yeah, and then my second one was against the uh, Brooklyn Nets because we really didn't have any momentum in that game. 
And then Nurt got a rebound, gave it to Damon. He just pulled up from probably like 40 or 43 feet. Like he didn't take a dribble beyond half court. Like he picked the ball up at half court and kind of hopped into like a 40, 42 footer. And that, that one was the one where I get, um, Garrett Temple went over to his teammate and he was like, I, I don't care if that's Michael Jordan over there. Damian Lillard has the ball. You pick him up from half court. And so that was an impressive shot. Like, I, I don't like- know. Yeah. I, I was like, I was starting to lose. Con- I didn't know if we were going to win that game because we weren't playing very well, but I feel like that three against the Nets might be like the deepest pull-up three in NBA history like that wasn't like either to beat a shot clock or some weird circumstance yeah like there was like 20 seconds left in the shot clock and he pulled up over 40 like I feel like that has to be the deepest shot in NBA history like that Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I agree did you did you see the new ESPN power rankings for the NBA has the Warriors at 14 baby let's go Yes, that seems about right, I think. Yeah, let's go, dude. I thought we were going to be like 25 this year. Are you comfortable with 14 and 55 wins? Hmm? Are you comfortable with ranking 14? I only have, I only have, they only have three more buffer games before they have to go on a run, dude. They have to win out. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to beat the Celtics, though, on tomorrow. For sure. For sure going to beat the Celtics. I would I would take the Warriors to beat the Celtics. I think the Celtics have not been playing very well recently. I mean, Tice missed a layup that would have beat the Lakers, right? And yeah, but not also not having Marcus Smart. Like he was Ooh. probably who they were going to put on um, yeah. Steph, and so yeah, who's going to stop Wiseman, dude? No one himself. Nobody has to. <laughs> and then, um, oh. Kill yeah, that James, that James Wiseman against Daniel Tice, if they ever match up, that'll be a classic example of a stoppable force meeting a movable object. So <laughs> we'll, have to see, we'll have to see how that one pans out. And then, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think the Warriors, I think the Warriors are going to take down Boston. Let's go. They have the Nuggets at five. Is that okay? No, that's a little high. Yeah, I was going to say that's a little scary. They have them over the Nets at six. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, no, no chance. Stupid. Do you guys see the rumor about Andre Drummond Nets? Yeah, I don't Ooh. think they're gonna buy Andre Drummond out. I mean, they're playing. They're still playing well. Are they like nine and eleven right now? Like the Caval, the Cavaliers have been playing well. They don't. They don't really have any reason to buy Andre Drummond out, especially with the playing game. Like. I don't ever see there being a point in the season where like, cause I think the, I think a lot of what the Cavs are doing is sustainable. I don't really see them falling off to the point that they have no chance of even getting the 10th seed and making the playing game. So I think they'll probably just keep Andre Drummond around, but yeah, that makes sense. I mean, maybe if anything, maybe some team will trade for him at the deadline, but he makes such a huge salary. I don't really, I don't really know who that would be. I don't know who has like $28 million, um, laying around to try to go get an Andre Drummond deal done. So I, I I would be surprised if he's not a Cavalier at the end of the season. Yeah. I think if the Nets want to make a trade for a center, like maybe you look at Rashawn Holmes in Sacramento. He's been having an amazing season, like under the radar, and they could probably give up Spencer Dinwiddie and bring in Rashawn Holmes or his teammate, Hassan Whiteside. He's a guy who actually might get bought out. And 
I think Hassan Whiteside, like he could actually play in the next rotation. I know people don't really like Hassan Whiteside, but I can see that, yeah. yeah, he's better than like playing Nick Claxton. I, he's probably better than DeAndre Jordan, in my opinion. Yeah. They were, um, I can't remember when it was, but I heard somebody saying that the Lakers should try to pick up Whiteside if he gets bought out because they don't have much size, like losing Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee from last year. If yeah. they had somebody where they needed size like that to be physical. Yeah, I think that's a good point as well. I mean, they still have Harrell and Gasol. And I mean, deep in the playoffs, like in their most, like their best lineups all are going to have Anthony Davis at center. But just if anything, that would be like, for my, in my opinion, more for just the regular season, just having like another guy you can throw in there because Montez Harrell and Mark Gasol have pretty like big limitations. And Hassan, like he may not be the best player, but he's a guy you can just stick in there for like 30 minutes a night and he'll at least like defend the rim a little bit and get mm-hmm. rebounds for you. So, I mean, yeah, there are players. I think the Nets probably, the Nets, I mean, obviously the Nets need a center much more than the Lakers do, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers do make a change later on in the season if it is for a big guy, especially because Montrez Hera has been sort of a disappointment. I don't know who could have seen that coming, but um <laughs> AGNG exactly Jonah the genius um do you speaking of transactions do you want to talk about possible destinations for Beal sure. and like what that would look like yeah Chan you want to lead us off here yeah I just have some thoughts about Beal I just don't know how convinced I am about Beal he's just kind of he's looking like a bozo like I, I get that <laughs> it's kind of justified because like John Wall got to leave and he's just losing over and over again, like putting up big numbers, but he looks like such a bitch on the bench. Like he just sits there and he's just like, like goes out and scores like 45 and then sits there and does that. Like, bro, what are you doing? Like, okay. Like you, are you going to cry on the court or something like that? Like, it's just kind of ridiculous. I love like it. I get like why you would be frustrated, but at the same time, like <laughs> it, it, it almost feels like he's like begging teams to pick him up. Like, like he's just like having like the camera zoom in on him crying on the bench so that teams will want to trade for him. Like, it's, it's, yeah. And then, like, I mean, he still has said that he wants to figure it out in Washington, but it, do, it does feel like if this continues for too much longer, that he might start to think that this isn't necessarily like a solvable situation, which yeah. I mean, Russell Westbrook's contract, does it go on for two more years after this one? I mean, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big anchor if you're going to try to build a winning team around Bradley Beal. I mean, at this point, you're just kind of hoping that Rui Hachimura and Dini Avdia start to develop really well, which they might. But um, yeah, that Westbrook contract looks terrible. That deal they signed Davis Bertans to uh, this summer, that doesn't look good. I know Bertans was kind of coming out off of injury and hadn't played at all during the offseason. So he's still a month and a half into the season, still working his way into shape. But I mean, he definitely hasn't played up to what he did last year. That's for sure. Um, and so, yeah, the future and the present and everything about this Washington Wizards team is looking very bleak right now. Um, so, yeah, um, Bradley Beal, is still maintaining that he's like a wizard for life. But at a certain point, you he, you might think he would grow weary of this. Yeah. So what would be the best he, option? I mean, I think the place to start is 
all the teams that were kind of a part of that James Harden sweepstakes. So the Sixers are just going to be the leader in the clubhouse right away. I mean, the only thing with Philadelphia is they're playing so well right now that maybe they don't yeah. want to change. But the one thing you could say about that is like, they, they are playing well, but how much of that really has to do with Ben Simmons, who would probably be the key piece and a, and it's Bradley Beal deal like Simmons. He's still having a wonderful season defensively, but he's, he's just been doing nothing offensively. Like we thought going into the season, like for the past few years, even that Brad, or that um, Ben Simmons has been a limited offensive player. And this year, not only has he been limited, but his roles decrease. Like it's always been like, he could still pass. He could still like try to attack the basket. It was just like the shooting that was such a big limitation for him. But this year they've kind of taken the ball out of his hands even more. And so he's just sort of been less involved. So you might think he's a bit superfluous for Philly, at least offensively, defensively, he still is amazing. But with Joel Embiid on your team, I think you're always going to have a solid defense. Like I think Joel Embiid like raises you to a top like 10 or 15 defense. It's like having Rudy Gobert kind of. Yeah, exactly. Like Gobert. So, um, so yeah, having, (laughs) so having Bradley Beal could, um, I think that would help them. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah. I think it's risky, but at the same time, I think it would work out. Yeah. I mess with the Sixers. I was talking about them before. Yeah. I don't think, I think the Sixers are kind of in a similar situation as the Blazers this year where it's kind of like a, they've been trying with the same lineup for a few years. And it's like, if they don't really get anything this year, I wouldn't be surprised if they blow it up, but I feel like they're playing so well. Like, I don't think they're going to make a move this year. They're going to ride it out and like, see what they can do. And if they can't, then that's where they're going to look to do something else. And I, I do think the team they have this year is much better than any of the previous iterations of the Simmons and a beat, obviously Seth yeah, Curry. Seth. He's, yeah. He's having an incredible season. And then Danny green, he is still kind of struggling um, from beyond the arc, but I think he's a guy that'll really help them as it goes on. Uh, Shake Milton. He's improved a lot from last year. I mean, doc rivers spoke so highly of him before the season in their training camps and all that. And Shake Milton's definitely lived up to the billing Tyrese Maxey. Um, his role has kind of been more limited as, many of the 76ers more prominent rotation players have recovered from their COVID absences, but Maxi, he's was, has been incredible in the minutes he's played. He was like, um, he was like the deal breaker in that James Harden would have been trade to the um, 76ers, but they just were not willing to part with Maxi. Like they would have given up Ben Simmons just fine, but not Maxi, which speaks to how he's been playing this year. So I, I do think that, um, this is probably the best team the Sixers have put around in Embiid and Simmons. But it is true, like Grant was saying, we're definitely going to have to wait until the playoffs to really see for sure if um, Simmons and Embiid, like if if even, can even the best team built around Simmons and Embiid, is, is that good enough to win in the playoffs? So we're going to find that out. Because I don't think, have they even made it to the conference finals no. the past few years? Yeah. So... I mean, trusting the process. I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, they were they were a couple <laughs> of bounces away from having a shot at the conference. Yeah, finals, yeah but, that's true. And then the year before that, I think they did they they lost in the first round to Boston the year before that, right? <laughs> yeah, four or five. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and then this year, obviously, getting swept by the Celtics. That was kind of an injured version of the Sixers, though. But yeah, that series wasn't very competitive. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess another um, possible Beal destination. What do you guys think about the Nuggets? I don't. I don't really think oh, that geez. makes a lot of sense, but that's one that gets talked about quite a bit. What would they give up? Yeah, yeah. probably. It probably have to be Porter Jr. would be the centerpiece of the trade. And then you could just throw in like Gary Harris and Will Barton. That I think that would make the salary. I work. mean, Michael Porter Jr. sucks. Positivity. My opinion. Um, I don't know though, because one of the one of the Nuggets' advantages has been that they're pretty deep usually. Yes. So like when you lose Will Barton, Gary Harris, like I feel like that would kind of hurt. Yeah, I I doubt they would do that because they're way less deep this year. Yeah. Actually, right. Yeah. Already. I'm honestly surprised that they've been doing so well the past few games because they're really not deep at all. Like they have they have a couple guys playing in the normal rotation. They're like I've never heard of this dude before. Yeah. Kinda... Nobody's. <laughs> trash basketball team. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and the rest are nobodies. <laughs> and the rest are nobodies. <laughs> But yeah, no, they act, they've got some good players on the bench. But like like um, Grant was saying, like no no Malik Beasley, no Jeremy Grant, no Mason Plumlee. Like a lot of like a lot oh, of the yeah. stalwarts from the Nuggets bench are no longer with the team this year. So that has no, they been, got R.J. Hampton out there getting minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't think Beal to um, Beal to the Nuggets. I don't I don't really think. That that would make very much sense. Um, them to the Rockets, dude. Not probably not the Rockets. The Pelicans. Why? Pelicans, maybe. Um, I thought I thought Miami was talked about. Oh, Miami. Yeah, that that could be. You. It would be like a deal around Tyler Hero, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that. Jody, could Lonzo become a warrior? Um, they got to keep keep Kelly Oubre, dude. Freaking love no, that. That's guy. who they would be giving up, bro. I think. No, yeah, I know. That's why I'm uh, saying keep Kelly. If oh, I'm the instead Warriors, of the trade. Yeah. Do, do I want JJ Redick more than Lonzo? I'd rather have Kelly than JJ Redick. Really? Yeah. For what? Are you what? You guys already have Andrew Wiggins and Kent Bazemore. Like you're you're full of um defensive wings that can't really shoot. Like having JJ Redick, that would be huge for the Warriors offense and. You guys, you guys already have like a couple more Kelly Oubre's. Like, there's more. You guys have plenty of limited shooters on the wing. You're not, you're not gonna miss Kelly that much. <laughs> I think, I think JJ Redick, he he could really, he could really help the Warriors this year. Yeah. Yeah. And Kelly Oubre sucks. Yeah, I mean, Kelly Andrew Oubre, Wiggins is better than Kelly Oubre. The last ten yes, games, we know I, this. The we last 10 this. games, Kelly Oubre has been back to his career average. Um, the last 10 games, he shot 32% from deep over those 10 games. So he's kind of broken out of that slump. His shooting starting yeah. to regress positively back to the mean. But, I mean, they could live without him. Like, I don't, I don't think Oubre is that much better than Bazemore. I mean. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, Kent's like, looking U- good. Oubre's on-ball, his on-ball defense, especially against guards, that would be the one area where – I think he definitely outperforms Bazemore as well as his um like ferocious cutting to the basket offensive rebounding. Like all that stuff he does better than Bazemore. But I mean JJ Redick, he could just unlock this offense. Like having JJ Redick and Steph Curry running around the floor, yeah. especially when you've got Draymond Green. I mean, Draymond has not been playing very well um since he's been back, but he's still um 
he still is a competent passer and having and like having him be able to like stand at the elbow or stand at the top of the key with Stephen Curry and JJ Redick like the Warriors offense has not been very good this year but I think if you had JJ Redick even though Redick's himself he's having a bit of an off year shooting the ball I think Redick and Curry uh, he like, hit like four a game bro yeah that could be a dangerous combination yeah yeah I don't know I want to hear what you have you mentioned the topic how three-point uh shooting effects okay. comebacks let's dive into this I want to I want to understand what you mean here so what we notice now lately Talking to this about with Jonah yesterday, but we see a lot of teams weird because I was watching the Jazz game and I was texting Jonah about it and um, the Jazz and Nuggets game, and uh, just uh, Portland has suffered from this. Leads are meaning less and less now because people, the, the teams prioritize um, the number of shots you can get up over quality a lot of times, and like the game plan, like I heard them talking about, that's what the Jazz want to do is just shoot. Because, I mean, if you have a bunch of 40% shooters on your team, you're going to make them eventually. Mm-hmm. So if you just keep shooting them, they're going to go in. And when you play like that, and then you have guys like Gary Trent Jr. and just guys like that in the league who can hit four threes in a row, like a 20-point lead means nothing, nothing, really, unless there's like two minutes left. Until that point, like it really doesn't mean that much at all because you can just – there's so many guys who can just get high and are used to just coming down the court, shot, coming down the court, shot. That's just how people play now. And so leads like mean nothing. I don't think it's a bad thing personally. It's exciting. It's dope. But when you're down by ten, it's like no sweat. Yeah, watching. Oh, yeah, watching the Blazer games. The team that's ahead by fifteen in the second quarter is like more likely to lose. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally. Yeah, for real. Like a twenty-five point deficit at halftime really doesn't mean that much. Me and Joe, uh, the Jazz game yesterday, he was like, "I think the Jazz can still win," and I felt the same way. And I think they pulled it back to single digits or something. Yeah, I don't even know. After yeah, being down like 25 or 30. Quarter. Wait, what game? Yeah. Jazz and Denver. Oh, Denver yeah. shot like, I don't even know, like 15 for 17 from three in the first half or something. Like that. Yeah, yeah, they were 88% from three in the first half, which. Um, yeah, but was, then we saw Jazz get back into the game, which is yeah. like. Yeah. Even the I Jazz Warriors years ago, game. it would have been over at halftime. But. The Warriors got it back within nine, but they just couldn't shoot. But like they were getting destroyed, but they still got it back within like a respectable distance. But then it just snowballed downhill from there. But yeah, I know what you mean for sure. Like and a lot, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the comebacks. It just has to do with how many three pointers these teams are shooting because it's just it has so much variability. Because like if one team goes like eight for ten from three and the other team goes four for ten from three and like uh six or seven minutes stretch like that's like 10 point swing right there so yeah just because teams are shooting such a higher percentage of their attempts from three pointers than it used to be like that can kind of be attributed to yeah like, definitely comebacks just because it makes the game so much more random yeah i mean i never Actually, even thought just, about it like that yeah. but yeah it's it's true and then another so a lot of times the difference between a made and a mystery is just so small like yeah and then another <laughs> aspect to think about too, I think is just sort of the feedback loops, which kind of plays in with the three pointers as well, which, which is like, it's, that's the reason like basketball is such a game of runs is because it's easier to attack a defense in transition than it is to attack a set defense. And so if you get the rebound off of an opponent's miss and you can get out on the fast break and you can kind of prevent the defense from uh, matching up against who they normally would. And so you can attack mismatches that way. You can get to the basket 
maybe the defense loses a guy on transition and you get a quick three. Like that's what the jazz have been doing quite a bit this year. So you just get easier shots in general when you can attack off of misses or turnovers and then easier shots will lead to more makes. And so if you make the shot, then you get to set up your defense. You get to go back and the offense of the opposing team, they don't get to attack in a fast break. And so the um, running the offense just gets a lot harder for them and a lot easier for you. Cause like you're rebounding misses and pushing the tempo and they're having to take the ball out of the basket. So I think yeah, that's thanks. sort of another aspect of it too. And I feel like fast break is like one of the biggest parts of the game where the three has changed so much yeah. because like, before fast breaks is like that's like the least amount of threes are taken because mm-hmm, they're yeah. they're driving to the hoop if it's two on one whatever they're gonna you go have to, to get a layup yeah where now it's like taking that three the difference between a guarded three and a wide open three on transition it's like it's so much different that that teams will take that opportunity a lot of times when yeah. they could go for the lane but it's just like it's it's the difference in percentage versus a fast break driving lane versus a just a regular driving lane in the in the run of play versus a wide open three and a guarded. Oh three. yeah, I see what you're saying. It's way it's a it's a much bigger difference. So it's like yeah. taking that shot then. It's like, like yeah, I'm pulling up. It's a bigger percentage difference. For shizzle. And then Jonah. Yeah. What did you want to talk about, Nikola Jokic? Oh, yeah. So I was kind of, um, for those of our listeners who don't know, the all-star voting has officially begun for this season. And I was going over my front court players. And a couple weeks ago, we made our all-star teams on all gear, no game. And my starting front court in the West was LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and um, Nikola Jokic. And I'm not sure how I'm feeling about that anymore. I still have LeBron James. I still have Kawhi Leonard. And Nikola Jokic, he's had, a, he's had a wonderful season. Like the Nuggets, they've got the fifth best offense in the NBA. And I think Jokic can take much of the credit for that. I mean, the Nuggets have scored 117.4 points per 100 possessions, which again, like that's fifth in the league. And when Jokic is on the floor, and he's been playing a lot of minutes and that number is 118.9 when he's on the floor. So um, like, it's just profound, like the impact that Jokic has had on the Nuggets offense. Like you can't really take that away from him. Like he's had a 31.2% usage rate this season, which that's very, very high, especially for a center. That's like 99th percentile for a center. So the, um, the role he's played in the Nuggets offense has just been mass massive like he's so important for what they do on that end of the court like he does waste 16 percent of the possessions that he uses on turnovers which i mean that's that's a little high because like when you look at some of the uh, other like um high level passers in the game which i sort of just defined as players who have a assist rate of 25 percent or more like just that was just the arbitrary cutoff i used but like Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, James Harden, LeBron James, Trey Young, Damian Lillard, like some of the game's best passers. Like they they all turn the ball over less than Jokic, which is kind of troubling. Like even you look at guys like Julius Randle or Giannis Antetokounmpo, like not quite the passing savants of the NBA. Like even those guys are turning the ball over a lot less than Jokic, which is 
kind of interesting. The only player who assists on 25% or more of his teammates' baskets and is kind of in that all-star arena, that all-star conversation, that turns the ball over more than Jokic, that's bam out of Iowa. So, I mean, Jokic's passing has been incredible. How efficient it's been, that's another thing, which, I mean, it sort of makes sense because when you look at it like a LeBron James or a Steph Curry or uh, Damian Lillard, they all are able to um, to kind of create assists and create good passes by working the defense and like leveraging other skills that they have. Whereas with Jokic, you're not really scared of him driving past you to the basket or like hitting a step back three in your face. And so th- it doesn't really bend the defense. Like the defense, like the only situation where you might like help off and go double Jokic is if he's like deep in the post and you don't want to like surrender an yeah. easy shot at the rim. So Jokic has to create so many more of his passes out of non-advantage situations, which is something you really can't say about like Curry, Harden, LeBron, even like a Trey Young or a Dame Lillard. Like those guys shoot so well and also can get to the rim. So they have a lot of counters to supplement their passing. And that makes the level of passes that Jokic, but Jokic um, the level of his passing, it just makes it so much more difficult and i think that's another one of the things that people like perceive about Jokic. it's just like the availability heuristic because there are so many he has so many just highlight passes that stick out in people's minds whether it's like full court dimes or like touch passes underneath the rim like he has so many that just land on highlight reels that i think people are inclined to think of him as a very elite passer which he is but he's just not statistically as efficient as some of the other players. Um, And for me, like I like a good highlight as much as anybody, but like the amount of times I see a player on like a house of highlights, Instagram high clip, like that's not necessarily something I factor into like who I select for the all-star game. And so um, like, I just feel like, I just feel like Jokic, Jokic is passing, although he's like a savant, it just kind of gets overrated because his passes are like more difficult and more flashy, but yeah. Cause he doesn't have a choice. He has to make those passes. Like you were saying, he doesn't have yeah. guys like he gets doubled and then there's someone on the wing. He can just slide it to mm-hmm, exactly. Like, it's not like he's passing it like Damian Lillard and Trey young and LeBron, they can like rack up wide open assists. And yeah. usually Jokic gets his assists and he's like passing it into some like tiny window. And yeah. that requires more skill and it's more impressive but I don't know if it's like more valuable, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I mean, 38% of like Denver's baskets, 38% of um, the non Jokic baskets come off of Jokic assists when he's on the floor. And that is impressive too. I mean, and they're shooting better shots as well. Like when Jokic is on the floor, they shoot a bunch more at the rim, which in part is due to like Jokic himself getting posts up, but also his outlet passing, like we were talking about before, like getting out in transition when Jokic is on the floor, he's just very good at sort of initiating that fast break, which can lead to a lot more shots at the basket. They also shoot a lot more corner threes when Jokic is on the floor, which again, that is a very um, efficient shot. His shooting has been very solid. I mean, just like the passing though. I mean, it's good. He has, has a lot of impressive shots, but it's just, like nothing to write home about his 60.4 effective field goal 
the percentage, which I mean, I don't know if hopefully the people who are listening to this knows, but if not effective field goal percentage is just regular field goal percentage, but it's weighted to account for three pointers being more valuable than two. So every three pointer made counts as one and a half shots um, made instead of just one shot made. That's the difference. And that's 10th amongst centers, like 10th, that's above average. But I mean, is that all-star starting numbers? I don't know about that. He had, <laughs> After last night, he has a 38% um, three-point. Um, he's shooting 38% from three, which that puts him at just above league average. League average is like 36, 37, so he's slightly above league average. And I mean, again, that's very good for a center, but I mean – it's nothing, it's nothing too crazy. I mean, you love to be above average, but that's still not amazing. His shooting, so, rim, he's shooting pretty solid at the rim. Like he's a 56th percentile finisher at the rim amongst centers, which again, that's above average. You, you always like to be above average. Um, is there, um, and only, only a third of his shots are coming at the rim too, which is troubling. That's, that's not a lot for centers. Like he shoots, a lot more of his shots from mid-range and he's very capable from mid-range. He's probably one of the best mid-range shooters that we have in the game right now, but that's just a more low efficient efficiency shot. And I'm obviously not saying that he should stop shooting that, but I'm just saying like when that accounts for such a high percentage of the shots you take and that kind of comes at the expense of shooting shots at the rim, like when you're shooting more mid-rangers and less shots at the rim, like there's, there's no player that that's going to be, there's no center, I should say. There's no center that that's going to be like a good trade-off for. Like even the best mid-range shooters, like you'd still rather be getting those shots at the rim. Like, I don't know. That's just my personal preference. Jokic is an amazing um, mid-range shooter, but just like I, I'd rather look, have look a center. I'd rather have a center that was okay at the rim and okay from mid-range, but took 70% of his shots at the rim than a center who was elite mid-range and okay at the rim, but took more of his shots from mid-range. Like even though Jokic is more skilled, like his um, shot chart isn't really more efficient. Like uh, he's, like I said before, he's the 10th most efficient um, center in terms of shooting. And I would venture to guess that he's much more skilled than all nine players who are above him. It's just sort of his shot selection just doesn't lend itself to efficiency which i mean there's no problem with that i mean we say the same thing about cj mccollum all the time like he doesn't take really high efficiency shots but in the playoffs like defenses often take away those sort of um easy like low-hanging fruit type of shots and then it really pays to have guys mm-hmm. like a cj mccollum like a nikola Jokic, who are able to hit those difficult attempts with some sort of frequency. So it's a great skill he has, but in terms of just selecting a regular season, all-star, like I, I don't think that's, um, I feel you, dude. You're lucky convincing me because if he's, if your center's not putting it in at the cup, who is like, cause then that's like, and I mean, and the guard shots aren't coming at the mid range. And so if you throw in like a Gobert in there and he's like, just getting those cleanup buckets and stuff like that, or just getting those little small rolls at the rim and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I've also said before that like on for four out of the five positions, I value offense more highly than I do defense, but for center, I really, I really want um, my center to be strong defensively. And that mostly just boils down to shot distribution. Like we were saying the most efficient shots in basketball, they come at the rim and having a center that can, a limit those shots at the rim and then B defend them well when they do occur. 
like that can really that really just impacts the game on such a high level and yeah when you add in mobility um it just increases the uh, radius of shots that the center can affect like that's the difference between like a Hassan Whiteside and a Rudy Gobert like Rudy Gobert has such amazing um lateral and vertical quickness that he can um affect shots pretty much like anywhere within like 10 to 12 feet of the basket like he doesn't have to camp out at the basket just because his shot blocking radius is so large and so just having that mobility is so important and so it's kind of, that's kind of a hard thing to measure though because for like catch catch all defensive metrics I mean they're generally pretty shaky like that's like one part of basketball statistics that people really haven't gotten like drilled down yet my favorite one would probably if I had to choose and that's what I used for my research today is just 538's defensive Raptor. And it just, what it does is it combines some box score statistics and sort of weighs them to account for a subliminal value. Like, um, like uh, on average, it, the offense scores about 1.08. So basically 1.1, like to just give or take, depending on the season. On average, the offense scores one per one point per possession and so like if you get a steal that like adds one point to your team's expected um differential at the end of the game because you just terminate a possession that if you had allowed it to continue that possession would have on average led led to 1.1 points and so um that's basically how they arrive at these statistics and then like I said it accounts for subliminal value so as even though a player getting a steal that might eliminate 1.08 points it's also like indicative of a player who's like more aggressive and jumps passing lanes and just as kind of um more of a disruptor defensively and so they do weight those a little bit more than just that 1.08 um would um lead you to believe i guess and then it also has like tracking data like how close players were to shooters like how how close they can get to contest shots i mean it isn't a perfect statistic but I think it's the best publicly available one. I mean, I'm sure like different teams have stats that they keep to themselves that are better than this one, but this is like the best that just an everyday person can access. And then when you look at the top four centers in 538's defensive Raptor, like the top four centers are Rudy Gobert, Jakob Pertl, Clint Capella, and Miles Turner. So, I mean, when those are the top four centers you get, like it's, it's pretty clear that they can pick out like the best defenders. Cause those, I think a lot of people would agree that those four are like four of the best defensive centers in basketball. And then when you look at the defensive ratings for those four players, I just mentioned again, Gobert, Pirtle, Capella, and Miles Turner. Um, the defensive rating that their teams have when they are on the floor is 100.9, 101.8, 103.1 and 106.6. And league average is around 111. So those players um, are all well below that average. They also have um, really good on-off defensive numbers. Like the lowest one was Miles Turner. And when he's off the court, the Pacers give up just below 10 points per 100 possessions more. And the most impactful one was Rudy Gobert. When Rudy Gobert is off the floor, the Jazz actually give up 15 points more per 100 possessions. So though so that raptor statistic it has a very high um correlation with those on off numbers and it's pretty clear if you have one of the best centers there's a good chance you'll have an above average defense like that's pretty much what yeah. the stats are telling us like even portland who has had a very 
very bad defense this year. 29th in the league, 116 points per 100 possessions. We have an average center, or we have an average defense when Yusuf Nurkic is on the floor, which is crazy. Um, and Nurkic um, was the Raptors' fifth-rated defensive center. Like, you think he might be having a bit of an underrated season, but anyway. So it's like with such like a strong association between like defensive centers and great defense. It was just so unsettling that Denver has the 20th ranked defense in the league. And what yeah. what's even more startling is that when Jokic is on the floor, Denver's defense gets eight points per 100 possessions worse. Like he's actually he's actually hurting them when he's on the floor, like when he's on the floor. The Nuggets give up 114 points per 100 possessions, which would be in the 29th percentile of NBA defenses. And if if you're doing the math at home, that actually means that when Jokic is off the court, the Nuggets have an above average defense and he pulls them into the bottom third of the league when he's on the floor. So he's just hurt their defense quite a bit when he's playing. And just for a center that's hoping to start in the all-star game to be that damaging on defense, I just... That's, uh, to me, that's unacceptable. And then when you take a closer look at some of like the more detailed stats, the percent of opponents' possessions that end in turnovers go down five and a half percent. So that's if that's the zeroth percentile. And so no player forces less turnovers than Nikola Jokic does. <laughs> that people might say that that's a bit of a misleading stat because. Usually when, when you think of um, steals and stuff, it's the guards who get them. Like centers don't really get steals very often. And actually Nikola Jokic, in terms of centers who do get steals, he's he's pretty good in that area. Like he's got decent hands. He, I, I actually would rate him above most centers in that category. But just in terms of forcing turnovers as an overall defense, when teams have a good backline of defense, like a Rudy Gobert or a Clint Capella or a Daka Pirtle or even like a Yusuf Nurkic, waiting back there, they're going to feel much more like empowered and much more aggressive to um, go out and try to get steals and try to jump passing lanes because they, because it's a gamble and they know if that gamble doesn't pay off and they don't get that steal, they'll have um, some sort of backline defense to sort of cover for them. So teams with more limited centers like an Ennis Cantor or like uh, Nikola Jokic, for example, they'll just play a lot less aggressively on defense because it becomes much more of a priority to keep the ball in front of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so sure. you you would hope with like that laid back conservative style of defense that the Nuggets play when Jokic is on the floor, you would think that would limit at least the shooting percentages that um, the opposing teams are getting, but that has not been the case at all. Like when Jokic is on the floor, teams are shooting five and a half percent better. That's a seventh percentile. Their accuracy at the rim goes up 3.2%. So they're shooting so much better at the rim when Jokic is on the floor. And what makes this look worse than it is, is that the Nuggets backup centers this year, the Nuggets backup centers have been Isaiah Hardenstein and Jamichael Green. Like gone are the days when Mike Malone would take out Jokic and replace him with actually Mason Plumlee, who's a quite serviceable Mm -hmm. rim protector. But no, these days... Their backup centers are Isaiah Hardenstein, Jamichael Green, and opponents are still shooting much better at the rim <laughs> when Jokic is in the game. Like, that's pretty embarrassing for him. I mean, he's just yeah, been bad. such a weak rim protector this season. It's his inability and unwillingness to just move his feet on defense. And 
people are like, oh, he's this super smart player. Like that's just not, that's just not the case. Like on offense, he's a savant, but on defense, he just, I, his spatial awareness is just not very good. There are so many times when he's just not in position. He, he, and I mean, it's not entirely his fault. Like he's just not this athletic Rudy Gobert, Miles Turner guy who covers ground super quickly. But still, like when Jokic is on the floor, like teams are shooting 17% better from floater range. They're shooting 10% better Jeez. from mid-range. Like it's just eye-popping, like how bad these statistics are. And it's mostly because when you've got a guy like Gobert or you've got a guy like Miles Turner, um, the idea is that they can come up and like somewhat hedge the screen. And so they're preventing like absolutely wide open looks and then just kind of backpedal to the rim and take away a layup. And so you, the, those players are still giving yeah. up. They're still giving up mid rangers. Like that's ultimately the shot that they're leaving somewhat open, but they're not leaving it wide open. And Jokic is just leaving those shots wide, wide open. And that's why teams are shooting um, like over 13% better from mid range when Jokic is playing. And that's wild. Yeah, so the statistics we looked at, those were just on-off numbers, and all that tells us is that the Nuggets defense is just better when Jokic is off the court. But like you also gotta see how those statistics stack up against the rest of the NBA, not just his teammates. So the 57% effective field goal percentage that Denver allows while Jokic is on the floor, that's 12th percentile in the NBA. When Jokic is defending the rim, opponents shoot over 71%. That's fourth percentile. So when Jokic is on the floor, the Nuggets are in the bottom 5% of teams who can um, defend the rim. Like for your center to be part of a lineup that is in the bottom 5% of Dude, I could probably give Jokic a bucket at the rim. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. And, and, <laughs> and that's the all-star center, the guy who's in the bottom 5% of defending the rim. Like I, I, I don't know about, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, um, from floater range. So, was, from floater range, Jokic is in the fourth percentile. What were you gonna say, Shannon? Well, I was just—you'll probably get to this. Just keep going. Okay, I feel so, like you just presented evidence in like a court case as to why yeah, we one should. One last <laughs> defensive stat for the Joker: when he exits the game, the Nuggets block three point two percent more of their opponent shots. So a lot more shots are getting blocked when Jokic is not on the floor. And I mean, that's not super significant that'll probably account for like one extra block a week like it's not um anything too crazy but it's more just symptomatic another symptom of just how weak Jokic's rim protection has been this season in fact Jokic blocks only one percent of opponent shots that's 26th percentile for big men and surprisingly he's only the fifth best shot blocker on his own team P.J. Dozier, Will Barden, Isaiah Hardenstein, and Michael Porter Jr. They all block a higher percentage of opponents to pointers than Jokic does. And then Adam Vladko, Kanchar, and Bol Bol, they finished ahead of Jokic in this category as well, but they just hadn't played enough minutes for me to really like draw too many conclusions based off that, so I didn't really count them at all. But for the star center to be the only the fifth best player on his own team in terms of shot blocking, I mean, that's sort of disappointing. I mean, the level of involvement that Jokic has had in their offense, like his usage rate, that's normally reserved for guys like LeBron James, Luka Doncic, like Damian Lillard, James Harden, just those super ball dominant, him alone offensive types. And so like that is noteworthy. And I mean, it doesn't, it, it you can't really like under 
or you can't overestimate the impact that that has. Like the most important thing you can do in basketball is like create good shots for yourself and for your teammates. But I mean, it still hasn't been a perfect season for Jokic on that end of the court either. He turns the ball over um, more than any of the previously mentioned players, as well as there are 67% of centers who turn the ball over less than Jokic does. And I mean, none of those guys are probably tasked with the role Jokic um, plays. So that's perfectly understandable, but I mean, still his shooting efficiency and he takes a lot of tough shots. So, I mean, um, tough to draw too much from this. It's not enough to crack 10 top 10 for his own position group. And he, he happens to also be shooting less efficiently than Paul George, who is the guy I would include ahead of Jokic. And I mean, the bottom line is 14 of the last 15 championship winners have had top 10 defenses. And the one that didn't had Kevin Durant and Stephen Curry on their offense. And so with Jokic on the floor, the Nuggets haven't even cracked a top 20 defense this year. And I mean, with centers being a position that affects team defense so deeply like his shortcomings really put a limit on like what Denver can do and like the quality of team Denver can eventually become. And I mean, all-stars, all-star spots. I still think Jokic is an all-star. I, I, I wouldn't, I would never like disclude him entirely from my entire team. He's going to be my reserve. He's probably going to be the top reserve on my team, but those all-star starting spots are reserved for the 10 best players in the NBA roughly. And I just, I just have a hard time including a guy who's been so damaging to his team's defense. And like the, the, yeah, he just has such a negative impact on their defense and that negative um, impact is probably going to prevent them from winning at the highest levels. And so for a player that's just damaging in that sort of volume, it's just not an all-star starter to me. Like, I mean, I can see the case from he's had a wonderful offensive season, but just, I'm I'm not gonna have Jokic in my starting lineup. I mess with that take, dude. I'm I'm yeah. convinced. Who do you have over him? Paul PG. George. Which I mean, it's I know it's unfair because um Nikola Jokic has had um such a heavy workload in Denver and he's almost single handedly guided them to one of the best offenses in the league. And Paul George, um he's played a much smaller role. Like he hasn't even been the main offensive player on his own team, but he's, he's just playing his role so much more efficiently than Jokic is. And he doesn't take anything away from the Clippers. And that's the bottom line. Like Paul George, he contributes in every aspect of the game. And although like some of the impacts he provides on the offensive end may not be as game changing as what Jokic can do. He doesn't take anything off the table and Jokic's defense, I think that takes a lot of like the highest end outcomes for the Nuggets off the table. Because realistically, the Nuggets are never going to win a championship or even make the champion or even make like even make the finals with. Hell no, dude. I used to think like last year I was feeling like they were going to grind it and get there one day. But yeah. And um and last season, like, there is a lot of shine on the Nuggets after last season. They made the Western Conference Finals. But let's not forget how lucky that was, too. Like, they got outscored in that series against the Jazz. They got outscored in um, the series against the Clippers. And um, worth noting as well, they were down 3-1 to the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell was absolutely lighting them on fire. And then they they got 
a um like a five day break break because of that um that Jacob Blake shooting in Wisconsin and the NBA went on that hiatus. And that five day break was enough time for Gary Harris to recover. And Gary Harris finally played in game five of that series after that break. And he was vital to them finally being able to slow down Donovan Mitchell. And so um, I would never like take away a fine or a conference championship appearance from a team. Like they earned it. Like there are a lot of people who say Portland got a little bit lucky in their trip to the um, championship the other year. And there's probably some truth to that as well, but I'm just saying, although the nuggets did make the conference finals the other year, last year, I just don't know if that's like the quality of team that this really is. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to have, I'm going to have Paul George over Jokic as my third front court starter in the Western conference. I like that. Yeah. Convince I me. like that. Damn um, dude. Were there any other like changes to your guys' original all-star lineups you think? Like seeing more games? Oh, hell yeah. For me, dude. Yeah. Mine's all messed up. Let's hear it. So now mine would be, oh, what was it? Dame, Luca, um, damn, I don't know. Definitely Kawhi and LeBron in there, but now I'm juggling um, like Jokic and even like. Nah, I don't even know. I guess Jokic, PG, and like even Gobert. I mean, the yeah, Jazz are just playing so good. Yeah, I wouldn't hate Gobert at all in that spot. Yeah. yeah. Um, for my guards in the West, I'd Steph and Luca and for starters. And now I think it's gonna be I think it'll be Damon Steph. Just because yeah. the Mavericks. Yeah, I think it could be that too. I think yeah. dude, there's no way Luca starts over Steph, bro. Yeah. I think but I think Lillard is the number one guard in the West right now. In my opinion, yeah, he's the best. Um, yeah, I I had Dame and Steph as well. I mean, I really think put um Dame Luca. Yeah, no, 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 no. I agree with that. I forgot about that. Yeah, I Dame mean, and Steph. Yeah, yeah, Dame Luca Steph. Like you really just can't go wrong choosing two of those players. Like I'd be okay with Luca and Steph. I'd be okay with Luca and Dame. I'd be okay with Dame and Steph. That's what I have. And the caveat here is. I still think CJ McCollum has had a better season than any of these players, but he yep. just hasn't played enough games and he will continue to not play games for the foreseeable future. So he's just not so, going to have um, the amount of games necessary to be an all-star starter, but um, in the games he has played, he's been better than any of those players, but I've been voting for him. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, of course. But yeah, dude, the Mavericks are just not winning games and Luca he's shooting terribly from three, isn't he? Yeah, really badly. I think it's like 27% right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm putting Damon stuff in there for sure. Which, I mean, here's sorry to um, relitigate this, but we've already um, we've already talked about Jokic, but I think one of the biggest reasons that um, Jokic is getting as much buzz as he is for All-Star Starter is just sort of the um, anchoring heuristic. Like, he had such a crazy start to the season that I think that's kind of stuck in people's minds. 
But when you just look at these charts, I'm going to try to hold up some charts so you guys can see it. Like <laughs> his go. field goal percentage has gone down. That's a chart based off of like 10 game rolling averages. And in the last 10 games, his um, effective field goal percentage has been below um, his like his season average. So he's um, regressed there. Three point percentage, same story. He's basically regressed to league average when he started out as a forty percent three point shooter in the first few games of the season. Uh, points, points per one hundred shooting possessions. That's another stat that has kind of just regressed. Trending down. Who goes. is this for? Nikola Jokic. Oh, and when you look Jesus, at assist percentage, in, like this is what the game stop stock is going to look like a month from now. Like just absolutely has <laughs> crashed below his season average. So, I mean, um, I think it's sticking in people's minds. He had a crazy start to the year and he just hasn't been able to sustain a lot of what he did at the beginning of the season. So yeah, um, I'm just looking at the Western conference and there's a lot of teams I would take over Denver in a series. Yeah. I'd take the healthy Blazers over the Nuggets. Yeah, 100%. Taking healthy Blazers, I'm taking full potential Mavericks, obviously Jazz, Clippers, Lakers, maybe Suns, dude. I don't even know. I was looking at that defensive Raptors statistic that I was talking about earlier that had Nurkic, the fifth best defensive center in the league, and the fifth and sixth best defensive forwards are Derek Jones and Robert Covington. And so... They they like the Blazers quite a bit. I mean, I I just, so do I. I just can't wait to see our team healthy again because when you have two of the best offensive guards in the entire NBA and then combine them with three guys who are top six defensively in their position, I think that could be a dangerous team. I mean, we're gonna have to, I'm, or at least I know I'm gonna have to see it to believe it. But I, dude, I just want to, I want to get healthy so bad, dude. I want, I want Zach Collins to play, dude. Yeah. 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 Man. Has your guys' all star lineups in the East changed at all? Not really. Yeah, me neither. I've still got. So for the West, I have um, Lillard, Curry, and then Leonard, George, and LeBron. And in the East, I've got Harden, Beal, and then Giannis, Embiid, and Durant. Ooh, that's nice. Except for, I don't think Harden's going to start anymore. You think Jalen Brown, maybe? Yeah, even I mean I had Trey Young and yeah. Harden, so I think it might be Trey and Beal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, could. I don't know. Harden Harden hasn't been taking the load. I mean, he's been taking like he's been going into the fourth quarter only having taken like eight shots in the game. Yeah, I mean he he, he he's getting a ton of assists too and rebounds and stuff. But like I can definitely see your point. Like it's not like. It's not like he's averaging 35 a game anymore. Yeah, like, which I kind of thought that that would be Kyrie yeah, kind of taking the blunt to that, but mm-hmm. it's actually been Harden so far, and that could change. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Wait, so read off the East and yeah, West. Yeah, no, really I think fast. that's something that'll, like, I no, think that's something that'll change, like, almost, like, game to game, honestly, is guys just kind of stepping back for the game. Yeah, oh, just, yeah. With the exception of maybe KD, it might be more juggled between yeah, Kyrie and Harden, totally. but... I think it will. What were you going to say, Callum? No, I just want to hear the two lineups that you have, Jonah. Okay, so for West, Damian Lillard, Stephen Curry, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and Paul George. And in the East, it's Beal, Harden, Durant, Embiid, and Giannis. 
I think the East would beat the West in like a legit game if they like played. No. Why not? I'm taking yeah, that's cap, bro. I'm bro, taking the team KD, with LeBron. KD, KD is so Dude, the team good. with KD's LeBron like and Kawhi. Yeah, and Curry. LeBron, Kawhi, KD, Steph, KD's, Dame. KD, yeah. KD's so good, dude. Dude, it doesn't matter, bro. The defense on the West is crazy in that forward position, bro. Man. Yeah, dude, know. they got two guys who can guard KD. No one guards KD, dude. They got the two guys who can guard, guard better KD. than KD. You don't guard KD. KD either makes it or misses. <laughs> do you guys want to hear? Um, do you guys want to hear one more interesting stat before we maybe log off? Yeah. Um, yeah. When the Clippers have their starting lineup on the floor, which has been Patrick Beverly, Nick Batum, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Serge Ibaka, they are scoring 118 points per 100 possessions and allowing 96 points per 100 possessions. So they've got a net rating of plus 22 with that lineup. And so that lineup's probably been the best um, five-man grouping in the NBA so far this season. So I think the Clippers are going to be, I mean, I we already knew this, but them and the Lakers, those are um, unambiguously the two best teams, in my opinion. I think that Serge Ibaka addition just makes them so tough. Oh, yeah. That was perfect. Yeah, especially when you consider that um, didn't they steal him from the Lakers? Like, weren't the Lakers? Kind of, yeah. From two? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Since the Lakers had him, bro, what would the Clippers do with that? But now they had, that's like an edge almost. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then also not having Montrez hair. Like, he hurt them so badly in the playoffs last year. What were you going to say, Grant? Sorry, I kind of interrupted um, you there. Nick Batum has surprised me. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's surprised everyone. He looked pretty washed in Charlotte, but he's been huge for them this season. It's good to see. Yeah, he did look I, I miss him important. Man, what'd you say? What'd you say? Nick, Nick Batum. Oh no, but what? Never mind. It's okay. <laughs> I, I I didn't catch like the last part of what you said. Uh, I miss him in Portland. Oh, 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 oh. yeah. Damn. Well, key takeaway, Nikola Jokic is one of the best defenders in the league. And um, teams shoot a lot worse when he's on the court, right? Yep. Exactly. Cool. What are your predictions for the, uh, well, I guess this will, yeah. You guys will definitely be beating. Who do you play after the Bucks today? Wizards. Huh? Yeah, it's the Wizards. Yeah, you guys yeah. will definitely beat the Wizards. Maybe. The Wizards? The Wizards looked a little scary last night. We'll have to yeah. see. All right. Yeah. I think that was just... I think there was some personal stuff going on. I think Russ wanted to beat... Um, yeah. The yeah. Do you uh, think... He, he should want to beat the Blazers, too, though, because of the damn thing, but... Yeah. You think the Blazers are going to go 2-2 two and two in their next four games? Because then you play, like, the Bucks tonight? And then you play Washington. And then you play the Knicks at the last game of this week. Or last, I don't know who you play third. So we're playing, I'm going to look it up right now. We're playing the Bucks today, the Wizards tomorrow. On Thursday, we've got the Sixers. Oh, yeah. And on Saturday, we've got the Knicks. So it's tough. I I don't know. Maybe one and three or two and two. And that's it. We'll see. Two and two wouldn't be bad. No, yeah, I'd be thrilled with two and two. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know I'm how sure the we're healthy, dude. The Warriors have to play the Mavericks back to back. I don't know how that's gonna work. The Mavericks suck right now, so yeah. But the Warriors can't really beat teams that are that that good, so it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be really interesting seeing who gets the eighth seed in the Western Conference because the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies have looked very good. And they still are waiting on Jaron Jackson to come back. He was probably their second best player. So I them and the Warriors could be interesting. And obviously the Blazers, if the Blazers can't get healthy soon, the Blazers could find themselves in that old mix as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there are some good teams near the bottom of the West this season. And the Suns. The Suns have kind of been slumping too. I think the Suns are probably quite a bit better than those three other teams I mentioned. But we'll see. Obviously yeah, not, not, over better, the not better than the healthy Blazers, but like better than the yeah. realistic Blazers. Yeah. Well, you cover everything you want to talk about. And where'd you find all those stats, Jonah? Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. He made them I up. I should give credit for them. Um, some no, of I just them wanted were, to know. Like, some of them were from basketball reference. Some of them were from cleaning the glass. So Cool. That's dope. Do you, like, subscribe to them or no? Yeah. You do? Yeah. <laughs> that's sick. What made you – is it just because you, like – did you already already did you already kind of know that Luca was kind of bad and you just wanted to prove it on def- on the defensive I mean, end? Or yeah, did you- I, the only people who are going to tell you that Jokic is an above average defender are probably Nuggets fans. Like, but I mean, yeah, this I just I mean I was already subscribed to the yeah. and I knew I wanted to make a point about Jokic today, and so I just thought let me get some stats for this. And so, yes, sir, nice. Did you notice how biased those announcers sounded a lot of times yesterday? Oh. God, yes. The Nuggets announcers yesterday. It was, was so horrible. bad. That was horrible. It was so bad, dude. Like, I get it's your team, but, like, they're literally, like, disputing every single call and everything, bro. Yeah. Like, chill. Yeah. I that noticed crazy. that, too. I watched the first half, and, yeah. Also, you guys see that Jordan Clarkson three? We were talking about mm-hmm. games three against the Mavericks last oh, year. Oh, the one that bounced up? Yeah. yeah. Did you see the uh, Clarkson three? that bounced off the rim and then went behind the basket and bounced yeah. off like the shot clock and all that stuff. And then went in. Yeah. That Wait, was that's insane. illegal. No, uh, it, it, it was uh, kind of out of bounds, but it was yeah, just yeah, yeah. the odds of that. Yeah. 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 That Jordan Clarkson three was pretty reminiscent of the game three that bounced way up there. Yeah. yeah. Yes, sir. So maybe Warriors beat, the Celtics then split the series with uh, the Mavs, and that'll be savage. And who knows? Maybe, dude. I want. I'm I want, taking the Celtics, but I, I definitely think. I, I definitely the, think the Warriors will at least get one of the games against the Mavericks. I want I the Warriors and the Blazers to have three. a series in the playoffs so bad. It'd be so much fun. Who? Blazers and the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not gonna. Oh, happen. you don't want that, dude. Why don't we want don't that? Want that. Why, why, why? I mean, there's not there's. That's not going to happen, though. I mean, the Blazers are realistically yeah. going to be like the sixth or seventh seed, and the Warriors are going to be the eighth seed, probably. So mm. I don't, I don't yeah. see that there's really a pathway to that being a matchup. Unless the Warriors get a higher seed. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thank you guys for coming on, Jonah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for blessing us with your knowledge once again. Okay, right. this will come out later tonight, and I'll do the timestamps like right now. Oh, cool. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Later.